0: Welcome in to the Diamond Vols podcast. I am Ben McKee, joined as always by Eric Kane. And hey, Eric, boy, does this week feel different. You had number one Ole Miss. You had number nine Vanderbilt. Technically, Vanderbilt was number five in one poll, but in the D1 baseball poll that we Diamond Vol podcasters and listeners go by uh, had them number nine. So that's why I reference Vandy as number nine. And here comes little old Missouri, who was by far the worst team in the SEC last year. And although they're they're more pesky and uh, maybe a little bit better than I initially anticipated, they're still not great. Tied for last in the SEC East, and uh, quite the difference in atmospheres this weekend came compared to last weekend, or the last two weekends. Yep. But that's when you got to be careful, man. Um, you know, Tennessee's
1: hottest team in the country, of course, got that top ranking coming off those big series wins, those, excuse me, those big series sweep, as you just mentioned on the road at Ole Miss and Vanderbilt. Got to be careful in a series like this, but you're exactly right. It's, um, there was a lot of anticipation building for the last two weekend series. And yeah, sure, you return home. It's all of all weekend. There's, show, I mean, there, there's good crowds anytime Tennessee baseball takes the field now at Lindsey Nelson Stadium, which is awesome. But, certainly a different type of feel. Uh but a, a team that you should handle and should take care of business and you should be at a 12 and 0
0: record in the SEC by Sunday. Absolutely and should set the SEC record for best start to SEC play ever. That that should happen. Tennessee currently yeah. 9 and 0 going into the weekend. Uh the 10 and 0 mark that the 1994 Florida Gators set is the best start to SEC play that has ever been. Tennessee wins Friday. They'll tie it. They win Saturday. They'll pass it. And that should be the case. We'll kind of go out of order as we tend to do here on the Diamond Balls podcast. And uh, let, let's talk exactly about that topic, Kane, uh, about Tennessee being focused this weekend, and, and then we'll touch on the midweek game that you covered on Tuesday, a 5-1 win over Lipscomb for the Vols. Do you expect any bad I, – I don't even know how to word it. I mean, do you, do you expect Tennessee not to be locked in this weekend? Because I would be utterly stunned if if Tennessee overlooked – Missouri uh, for many reasons a uh, they 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 don't overlook opponents under Tony Vitello That that's one of Tony Vitello's best attributes is keeping his his guys locked in he will have them ready to play but also the second reason I would be stunned if Tennessee overlooks Missouri in fact I'm saying it's impossible for Tennessee to overlook Missouri I just do not think it it could possibly happen is because Tony Vitello where's he from Kane Mm, Missouri that's right St. Louis Missouri (laughs) you know what school considered hiring him before Tennessee hired him but didn't (laughs) yes but didn't that would be the Missouri Tigers and uh, Steve Beezer has not been able to get it going there at Missouri since the Tigers made that decision so you can rest assured that Tony V will have something to prove this weekend against the Missouri fighting tigers when they come to Lindsey Nelson stadium. Yeah. I mean, to
1: answer your question, uh, absolutely not. I mean, th- this team is coached. Well, obviously seeing what uh, this program is built under Tony Bottello and Frank Anderson and, uh, all those guys. So um, good teams don't take days off good teams, uh, prepare and they take every at bats like it's, you know, game, you know, seven of the world series, you know, one day, um, it just kind of is what it is, right? And so I would not expect Tennessee to take anybody lightly. I would not expect Tennessee to not be engaged and fully prepared for this opponent. Um, but, I mean, these are the questions you do have to ask, though. Again, coming off the two series that Tennessee just swept, uh, being where you are in the country, I, there's no complacency with this team. I've never gotten that feel. Uh, the Tony V factor, thats that that uh, certainly is uh, worth talking about, Um you know, a little little bit more, you know, spice in the step this weekend potentially. I mean, it's Missouri's loss, obviously, right? I mean, you passed on Tony Vitello, and look where he's gotten Tennessee in this short amount of time. So, you know, he wants this one. Um, I would assume he is going to absolutely pour it on in typical Tennessee fashion, uh, playing within the confines of the you know the rules of the game, of course. But um, I, I think this is one that Tony Vitello, of course, you want old Miss, you want you want Vanderbilt, of course. Tony Vitello wants Missouri, and he wants to as um, you know, as Jordan Beck would say, you know, keep the uh, keep keep the foot on the throat, essentially the the entire week. I think that was Jordan Beck that said that. Nonetheless, Drew Gilbert, Drew Gilbert said that. You know that, that that's the type of mindset I feel like this team and, and of course Tony Vitello
0: has coming into the weekend. I can assure you, there will be pettiness. It, it may not be obvious pettiness, but there will be pettiness. We we have discussed on this very podcast and. If you've listened to me talk about Tennessee baseball over the last couple of years, you have heard me discuss the pettiness that Tony Vitello likes to throw out there from time to time. So if if he has the opportunity to do so within those white lines like Kane just mentioned, he will do so. And unfortunately for Tony, he does not have his Missouri transfer uh, ready to go just yet to kind of throw in the face of Missouri like he did with a freshman Wyatt Evans who is from South Carolina against South Carolina a couple of weeks ago uh, Seth Halverson probably about a, a week out or so I, I think next weekend against Alabama is most likely when he'll uh, make his debut but he he's not far off uh, whatsoever uh, he he for those who do not know Seth Halverson was Missouri's Friday night starter last year so I keep that in mind going forward. Eric, uh, Tennessee did pick up a big 5-1 win over Lipscomb on Tuesday night. Uh, I say big because they were able to get plenty of guys action, most notably Blake Tidwell. uh, Jordan Beck had the highlight of the night with his 451-foot homer, just an absolute moonshot, an absolute bomb. But to to me, the story was Blake Tidwell – getting the start and i i think that maybe was and will be overblown that he started quote unquote they're just getting him work that that's why you saw ben joyce pitch you saw a lot of guys pitch because tennessee didn't use a lot of arms over the weekend as we discussed on the podcast earlier this week but to see him go two innings was was big he looked really good uh had the one two three inning in the first gave up the bloop single to start the second, and then came back and struck out the next three guys. He looked really good. Tony Vitello talked early Thursday morning and said that in that first outing, he looked like a guy that was trying to take over the world because that was his debut. And then against Lipscomb on Tuesday, his second outing, he was much more composed, much more within himself. He was really spotting his pitches, and he was really pleased with what he said. And I think the most important part that Tony said, was that he's all clear from a health standpoint, that that's in the rear view, and now it's full steam ahead in terms of building him back up. So I thought that was the storyline. From your perspective, as you were there covering the game for VolQuest, doing a great job, uh, what were your thoughts on, on A, Blade Tidwell, and, and what you saw from him, but B, also just the, the game in general? Yeah, I mean it was it was a win five to one.
1: Uh, Tennessee's bats a little bit more quiet than normal, of course. Um, but you had a, a different type of lineup in there. Of course, since the midweek, you and I discussed so much about how Evan Russell needs his rest, and he he got that rest. You know, uh, uh, you had a uh, you know Charlie behind the play getting the starts. Um, you know, at, at catcher and. Charlie Tiller and um, a couple of guys in that lineup, which is fine. Had a couple of regulars, of course, you know, the Gilbert Beck and, you know, the Lipscomb, they all played. Lipsius was in there. And then as the game went on, you saw some more guys come in. So it was your typical midweek game. Um, a couple of times it got a little dicey uh, with some men on base. And and I felt like uh, Mark McLaughlin and, you know, Will Mabry really came in and, and you know, put all those. Uh, those comeback bids for Lipscomb to rest, I thought they pitched very well out of the bullpen. It was a good win for Tennessee. It's what you expected, but again, you're right. The story of the night, uh, Blade Tidwell. Tennessee only pitched four relievers uh, over the weekend against Vanderbilt. Uh, so many more arms than innings that needed to get work on Tuesday night, and you're exactly right. This was not a quote-unquote it – was. it it'll go down as a start. It was an open for a bullpen game, essentially, is what it was. But he looked great, man. Blade Tidwell – um, two scoreless, allowed one base runner. That was a leadoff single to begin the second inning. Uh, he responded in that second inning by striking out the side. He had four punchouts total on the day, 33 pitches, 23 in the zone for strikes. Uh, he had one flyout, one ground out. Of course, those four uh, strikeouts I mentioned. I saw him hit 97 uh, on the scoreboard gun, um, but I think his fastball set around 96 on the nights. Um, it was really, really good to see. He was confident. He was working fast. And uh, that's the Blake Tidwell that we all remember from last year. So two innings, 33 pitches. That's good from this week. Maybe over the weekend he'll get a couple of innings of the bullpen. Potentially maybe he'll get the midweek start next, next week and go three innings. I, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, but that was a really, really good outing for for Tidwell for sure. Ben Joyce was number two on the agenda list to get in. Of course, Sanders Seacrest came in uh, second and pitched a really, a really nice third inning. But Ben Joyce came in. He goes two innings. I thought that was really, really good and uh he was i didn't count on him but again five six, seven over miles per hour uh he looked really good as well so uh five to one win um my concho i i i kid you this is not hyperbole i tweeted it out and I, I kid you not i never saw the ball come down now granted i don't have great eyesight <laughs> and it is dark but i never saw that ball come down he just killed the ball drilled the ball and uh that was uh, that was fun to see, but a five to one win—what you want? And uh, uh, everybody looked to uh,
0: appeared to get the work that they needed to get in before
1: the weekend series against Missouri.
0: Was Mike Conchos' home run with a legal bat? Well, they didn't take the run off the scoreboard, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, oh, what a weekend! I, I still can't believe that happened. So Blade was sitting around ninety six with his fastball. You said. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That, that, around 96. I saw him top at 97. Again, that's from the scoreboard. I didn't have the, uh, you know, the, 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 matrix computer with me, but that's kind of <laughs> what I saw. Yeah.
0: That, that's huge, man. It, it really is uh, for, for the the, 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 the viewer who doesn't watch a ton of baseball, that, that is a significant step because that, that means that he is truly healthy, in yeah. my opinion. Uh, as I did just mention that, Tony Vitello said Thursday morning that all the health stuff, the injury is behind him. And that's further evidence of that because the week prior against Western Carolina, he, he touched 96, 97, but he was mostly sitting around 93, 94. And that's perfectly fine. That should be the case coming back from injury and the first outing or whatnot. Uh, But to see that he's creeping up and back, to, to living around the velo that he typically lives around is a great sign. One name I, I really want to harp on, and we have talked about him, but how about Will Mabry and the the role that he has carved out for himself. Uh, last year, he was kind of just a, a lefty-lefty matchup, a batter, maybe two out of the bullpen type of guy. Uh, his velo wasn't what it is now. His command was kind of sketchy. And now – I think I may trust him more than anybody except Redmond Walsh. I, I would put him next to Camden Sewell and uh, maybe even a little more trust there with Will Mabry. He has become a, a real, real weapon out of the bullpen for Tony Vitello.
1: Oh, he was fantastic on Tuesday night. He's been great this whole year. But uh, w- one of those one of those innings where uh, Lipscomb w- was, was threatening, right? Back-to-back singles to begin the sixth inning. Uh, Evans finally got one out and then I think he ran the count full three and two. I believe he was ahead then fell behind and ran a full three, two. That's when will Mabry was called upon um, came in one pitch, one out struck him out. And so that out officially went to Wyatt Evans because on the, on the box score, it says that will Mabry just uh, pitched a third of an inning, but he got two outs. And then uh, with runners at second and third, he strikes out uh, the next batter and ends the threat. So um, he was fantastic uh, again. He, he's been he's been fantastic all season long. So you're right. I mean, I you know, Camden Sewell. It uh, looks like he's getting back on track, and that's good. Um, he's had he's had some up and down years, uh, you know, up and down moments so far this season. But I you know, still trust Candon Sewell. Uh, you obviously trust Redmond Walsh, and and I'm right there with you, man. Will maybe might be next in line, or or you know, kind of on even platform with Candon Sewell right now because he's been fantastic.
0: The pitching staff just continues to amaze me. Uh, it, it's not even fully healthy, and it's already the best in the country. And, and I know yeah. we've had this conversation a million times already. And, and the lineup is terrific. There are no holes in the lineup. The, the 7, 8, 9 in Tennessee's lineup can, can beat you just like one, two, three. 2, 3. But the, the pitching staff as a whole, not just the pitching rotation, but the staff as a whole is really what is setting Tennessee apart from other schools throughout the country. Their rotation is absolutely dominant. And huge shout out to Chase Burns, Chase Dolander, uh, and Drew Beam. All three of them for the first time in program history, uh, <laughs> were all on the, the midseason Golden Spikes Award watch list for, Isn't that and nuts? for those the, it is nuts. It's absolutely insane. Uh and, and like you can make the real case that why in the world is Trey Lipscomb not on that list. <laughs> he he's one of the best team or best players in the country so far this year. Best players in the SEC, uh, and, and Trey Lipscomb's not on the list. And I think it's because Tennessee's entire rotation is on the list. And, and for those who are not aware, the Golden Spikes Award in college baseball is the Heisman of college baseball. It, it goes to the best player in the country at the end of the year. And as as dominant as the rotation is, and that obviously sets Tennessee apart alone in itself, but the bullpen is going to be just as good as <laughs> as that rotation because you have so many guys back there. Redmond Walsh is a fixture, Camden Sewell, Will Mabry, Kirby Connell, Ben Joyce. And you're going to add Seth Halverson. He's going to be a bullpen arm, and then one of Blade Tidwell or a starter is going to be in the bullpen as well. And there's other guys that that you could throw in there as guys that you can trust if you, if you need to get some outs, a Mark McLaughlin type. I was going to say,
1: yeah, I was going to say on Tuesday night, McLaughlin came in and uh, had a a runner at third base, only one away. And he, you know, hunkered down and and struck out, uh, struck out the next two batters to, to end the threat as well. I mean, high leverage situation, something Tennessee wasn't in much to begin the season and, I got a little got got a couple of those uh, in, in this past midweek, but Mark McLaughlin, of course, he 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 pitched very well on Tuesday as well. The,
0: this pitching staff is is why Tennessee has a legitimate chance to win a national championship and is the front runner to win the national championship here on April seventh. One more thing I want to talk about in relation to the midweek game, Eric, is a reoccurring issue that continues to gain steam. With the midweek games, can can you guess what that is, Eric? I, I haven't told you what we're going to talk about, but I, I imagine you can guess. Probably running yourself into outs
1: on the base paths because that. No, this is to actually
0: non-team
1: related. Oh, non-team related? Oh, yes. oh, I know what you're going to say. Uh, it is the uh, broadcast, the TV, yes, uh, the stream, yes. yes,
0: yes, the the broadcast. It continues to be atrocious, to be quite mm-hmm. frank. Uh, and I and I do want to mention some things. Uh, as to why it is such. now, Tuesday was a little bit different because of the awful weather that was in the area., uh, I, I believe it was the Centerfield camera, yeah, maybe maybe not the camera itself, but the stand or or something was broken. Something got damaged, yeah, yes. so that that is certainly more understandable. But if you watch a Tennessee midweek game, the broadcast quality is significantly worse than. Any other in the entire conference. I I, I want to say even Missouri. Sue me. I have not tuned into any midweek Missouri baseball games. Forgive me. But if, if you go tune tune into an LSU, AM, Mississippi schools, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, any of them, the, the broadcast quality is significantly better. It is as it's as if it's a midweek game or a, a weekend game, I should say. Instead of a midweek game. It is a significant difference be- between the two. Uh, and, and for my understanding is that in the past, Tennessee has not invested into the resources that other schools have been willing to invest in to make sure that, that they have those, those resources to make the broadcast look legitimate and look like a weekend broadcast. One thing is, is that for my understanding, those other schools have two control rooms to run broadcasts and Tennessee has just one. Uh, an, another issue is the, when it comes to resources is the cameras that Tennessee uses uh, from, from my understanding, uh, Tennessee lacks the cameras, uh, whether that's quantity or quality that other schools in the league have. So that's two issues right there.
1: Oh, we'll say this real quick. And, I don't know if this is official. So, like you just said, sue me. Maybe if I'm breaking this news here, um, Mark Packer and his truck are going to be streaming the midweek contest at Smoky Stadium. So you will have good, high quality production. It'll be a stream. It's not going to be on the SEC Network or anything. But you know, I work with that crew every Thursday nights. Uh, they're fantastic. So the the production will be top notch when it's at Smoky Stadium. So that's something you got to look forward to.
0: Yes, and I was about to mention that, that that's been a topic of discussion. There was originally going to be no broadcast for next Tuesday's game against Tennessee Tech at Smoky Stadium, uh, and I, I do believe the feedback is why there will now be a broadcast, and you mentioned it, Mark Packer and his crew is is going to handle that. But also, in addition to that, moving forward, so that that's why Tennessee has lesser broadcasts than, than other schools in the SEC. Quite frankly, it doesn't have the resources to have those other broadcasts. And simply put, from my understanding, that has been a Tennessee decision to not have those resources. But the, the feedback and the frustration amongst fans has been heard. Uh, I, I think uh, Tennessee's baseball program itself, those within the program, have also gone and voiced their frustrations. And desire to improve the broadcasts. And from my understanding, moving forward, that is no longer going to be an issue. At at, le- at least that's the plan. I'll I'll believe it when I see it, but the plan moving forward with the midweek games is to to no longer have, quite frankly, crappy broadcasts, which you is mean starting this season. Huge. Yes, for from my understanding. Okay. Oh, so, well, yeah, I'm maybe. like, you
1: believe when you see it because I know a lot of logistically like, yes, like, I mean, it's it's a matter, right? So it, there's a lot of things that might have to take place. But just so you guys all know, listening, if you uh, hang out with us during the game threads and everything, every time I'm up there and I'm covering the game <laughs> and you guys, you know, put a zinger in there about the game broadcast. I tell everybody up there in that press box. So they're fully aware if they weren't already of the frustrations that's going on with the midweek broadcast for sure.
0: Well, and and the frustrations have crept into the clubhouse as well. And and I think those frustrations have have been voiced. And and think about it. Blake Burke is from California. Yeah. The only way his mom and family could have watched on on Tuesday night uh, against Lipscomb, did Blake Burke end up playing? I was out of town attending to other things. I did not get to watch. uh, No, he didn't play. Okay. But had he played like he has in most midweek games – his mom would have had to watch that crappy feed and has had to watch that crappy feed all year long. Same with Christian mm-hmm. Moore, who is from New York, and and the entire roster. It's not easy for these players' parents to, to come to to midweek games, weekend games, and, and for that to be the product that they have to watch when all the other schools in the SEC don't have that problem is ridiculous. So to me, from what I have heard, it sounds like Tennessee is is – taking steps to make sure that that no longer happens and is no longer an issue uh maybe it is something that that begins next season kane like you just asked me but I did not get that impression the impression that I, that I got when I was told that it they're working to make it better was for this season and they have two week a week and a half to to get it done quite frankly because next week Smoky Stadium that's not a Tennessee thing that they have to broadcast but going forward after that, I, from my understanding, the intention is for it to be better and good on Tennessee. It's long overdue. If this has been an issue for years, nobody cared because Tennessee baseball sucked. Well, Tennessee baseball is the number one team in the country, and it's time for them to start acting like it's the number one team in the country.
1: Yeah, even even if you weren't the number one team in the country, you are the University of Tennessee in the Southeastern Conference in a Power Five prestigious conference. I mean, hell, it's 2022. Let's get with the times here, so... Um, but it just adds fuel to the flame, obviously, when this is the best team in the country. And, and you're right. I mean, that's something I picked up when I did minor league baseball. Like, I mean, you, you've got all these players and they're not from where your team is. You know, they're not from Kingsport, Tennessee. OK, they're from literally all over the world and they're tuning in to watch your stream or listen to your stream. So um, there's a lot riding on it for sure. So that, that that's good news to hear. And that's been an ongoing issue. But this team, this player, this program, the coaches, everybody involved, uh, the people working in the program, the the SIDs of the world, the Sean the Shans, you know, they all deserve it. So that's good to hear.
0: Yeah, so did want to touch on that because it is a ongoing hot topic. Now this weekend, Tennessee plays Missouri, as we mentioned. Uh, Missouri, uh, as I alluded to earlier, much peskier <laughs> than than I intended or or thought that they would be. Uh, kudos to them. Uh, they just were not good last year whatsoever. They were a very bad baseball team. They ranked last in the SEC in ERA and in runs scored, and that those are not the two stats that you want to finish last in runs scored offensively and runs given up on the mound. Not not the two stats that that you want to finish last in, in the SEC in, uh, but but this year, man, they're kind of turning some heads. Look, they're not going to be an NCAA tournament team, but they're not as bad as they were last year. And as you and I discussed to start the podcast, if Tennessee does not show up ready to play and, and take them for granted, think that they're just going to roll their helmet and and bats and stickers out there and and they're just going to win, they're in for a rude awakening uh, because Missouri took two of three at home against South Carolina this past weekend. Uh, and that was a South Carolina team that had been riding a high, Eric, after taking a series – from Vanderbilt, they go out to Columbia, and maybe it's just a simple fact that they were in uh, Columbia, Missouri, which I don't know why that would make a ton of difference because Columbia, South Carolina, sucks as much as Columbia, Missouri, does. But that's that's neither here uh, nor there. Nor there, but uh, Missouri, three and six in the SEC, seventeen and eight overall. Uh, they they beat down Kansas on on Wednesday night, and again, you you add that win over Kansas, uh, a big rival for them. And they're, they're riding some momentum coming into the weekend, Eric. So uh, I'll break down Missouri a little more in depth here in a moment. But as we talked about earlier, I, I think it simply comes down to Tennessee playing its game, showing up ready to play because Tennessee has more talent, more depth, better coaching uh, at, at uh, with every facet of the team, hitting, defensively, pitching, bullpen, infield, outfield, uh, every facet of, of the team, Tennessee has more talent, more depth, and they are the better team. Yeah, one hundred percent.
1: Eighteen and eight, the overall record that that looks you know decent. Three and six mark in SEC. That that's what's going to turn everybody off a little bit. Say, oh, three and six, three and six in conference, they're not that good. But as you mentioned, took two of three against South Carolina. Had a win against Arkansas. Uh, it, it was a Saturday contest. They lost the series, two games to one, but I uh, did have a win against Arkansas. So I think that's worth noting. Um, they were swept to Vanderbilt. The Friday contest against the Commodores, 15-2, to was horrible. They got shut out in in game two, but showed a little fight on Thursday. It was still – or excuse me, Sunday. It was still a a three-point loss, so a three-run loss. I did that last week too. I swear I love baseball. It's actually my favorite sport, and I have a background in it. Uh, But nonetheless, again, this is a team that if you're not taking it seriously, they can beat you, in my opinion. But as we spoke on, I don't think Tennessee is going to do that. Um, Better pitching lineup is 10 times as good Pit, uh, coaching is 10 times as good so if Tennessee comes in and plays the way it's been playing then it has, it should have no issue whatsoever uh, with this Missouri team that you know does have a little pop in that lineup uh, again 18-8 and eight record it, It's that, that's not bad it's got a little pop in the lineup they've got a little bit of power uh, they've got a guy that's you know stolen nine bases so far this season of course it's not a Bradford junior of course what you dealt with last weekend but gotta be on your game a little bit so um, it just kind of is what it is but Again, you know, baseball is baseball. You lose some games, right? Um, Tennessee shouldn't lose a game this weekend. It shouldn't, um, and uh, we'll have to see exactly, you know, what happens.
0: But like you said, baseball is baseball. We'll start with the offense of Missouri. Uh, The one thing that stood out to me when when looking at them on paper is that they're really good with two outs. Uh, They've actually been deadly with two outs at the plate this season. They they already have sixty four two-out RBIs through 23 games. To put that in perspective, uh, last season, all of 2021, which is about 60 games, they had 90 two-out RBI hits. This year in 23 games, they already have 64, which means they've already accounted in about 35-ish less games. They've accounted for 70% of their two-out RBIs from a season ago. Uh, So I I do think that speaks to them having – uh, some talent in that lineup. It, it starts with their leadoff hitter, Josh Day. He's the shortstop, an athletic shortstop with good range and good hands, uh, pretty good uh, offensively as well. He's better defensively, but he's still really good uh, offensively. Uh, he's hitting 340, has a, a team leading 27 runs on the season, also leads the team with a 588 slugging percentage and is tied uh, for the team lead in home runs with six I mentioned the defense with Josh Day and as a little uh scenic route here as we talk about the offense want to throw in uh that Missouri plays pretty good defense particularly up the middle uh, Missouri ranks second in the SEC in double plays turned and uh, they have 10 double plays in SEC play which leads the SEC so they're good at shortstop with Josh Day they're good at Second base with Nander De Sadas, who is a junior, uh, a transfer from Florida State. A really good up the middle. D- doesn't provide a lot at the plate, um, but really good defensively uh, is their second baseman, Nander De Sadas. Uh, and in the middle of that lineup, they, they really have some pop, as you mentioned, Kane. Uh, Luke Mann, their three-hole hitter who plays third base. Uh, he was last year's leader on the team in home runs with eight, and he's a lefty. Uh, and has always kind of flashed the pop in his bat, but needed to become more consistent uh, after he hit just 224 last year. And, and he's done that for for the most part. Well, I guess a little bit. He's hitting 233, so technically it's an improvement. Uh, but he could become uh, more consistent if <laughs> if he could. That that would be great for Missouri. But the pop in his bat is still there. Uh, their best hitter is their four-hole hitter, their first baseman, Torn Montgomery. He's a junior, the team's top-returning hitter. Uh, he entered this week in the SEC uh, seventh in the league in batting average. He's hitting 378, or at least he was prior to the Kansas game on Wednesday, driven in a team leading 22 runs, uh, 11 of those coming in the first inning interestingly enough, uh, has a team leading eight doubles, has scored 24 times on the year, which is second most uh, on the club. So Torn Montgomery hits in the four hole, their first baseman, somebody to really watch there in the middle of that lineup. Also, how about this name, Kaner? Fox Liam. <laughs> would you ever name your kid Fox? I don't know. I think that's pretty cool, though, now that i
1: think about it. No, I would not. But, uh, of course, my <laughs> fiance wouldn't let me. But uh, that, that, that's a that's a cool
0: name. It's all right. Uh, my wife and I are still trying to name our baby boy who was born in less than, than four months. And it is decided. Fox right there. Well, I was about to say, I don't, I don't think Fox is going to fly uh, <laughs> from, from both of us. I, I don't think that she would want that. And I, I definitely don't want that. Although it, it is a pretty great baseball name, I, I must say. But uh, he is the reigning SEC player of the week, uh, a graduate transfer from Coastal Carolina, who also has some pop in his bat. He was the SEC player of the week because he went seven for 11 in four games last week, two home runs, nine RBIs, and four games played. So a torn Montgomery and Fox Liam there in the four and five hole uh, is what Frank Anderson is circling going into this weekend as being uh, a potential danger zone for Tennessee's pitcher. Uh, and then the, the other name to really know in that lineup is Carlos Pena, who is a right fielder. He's a freshman, was the crown jewel of their recruiting class. He's a lefty as well, a left-handed bat who has a ton of power. That, that is why everybody's talking about Carlos Pena. Uh, he has 19 RBIs, uh, which is uh, up there for the team lead. So that's what stands out to me about Missouri offensively, Kane, is that they may not hit for, for average but they have a lot of pop in that lineup and a, a couple of lefty guys who have a lot of pop in their bat. And we know how short that right field porch is uh, in Lindsey Nelson stadium. So uh, Tennessee is going to have to watch out for the long ball this weekend from Missouri. And there's still a couple of guys in that lineup that are hitting well over 300. I
1: think that's worth noting. but my biggest takeaway from viewing the, the stats and everything for Missouri offensively. Yes, the pop is there, but I'm glad you mentioned it earlier, the timely hitting uh, this team is driving in runs. Not necessarily always by the long ball. Sure, as you mentioned, Josh Day has six home runs. Luke Mann has six home runs. Uh, Fox Liam has three home runs. Or, you know that, that that's as good as it gets in terms of the long ball for Missouri. But you got seventeen, you know, runs batted in from uh, Desantis. You got twenty-two from Montgomery, eighteen from Day. You've got nineteen from Mann, nineteen from Pena, fifteen from Liam. I mean, this team is driving in runs, but it's not always about the long ball. Also. They do strike out. The strikeout-to-walk ratio is not fantastic. That's a big strikeout team. In Tennessee, obviously, you've got a couple of big strikeout pitchers in the one-two holes there on the weekend. Uh, so uh, I like this matchup for Tennessee. But a lot of things can get you if you're
0: not on your game for sure. Yes, and you you said it perfectly that Tennessee strikes, strikes guys out and Missouri strikes out a lot. So I, I think yep. that will play in Tennessee's favor. But the command of Burns, Dollander. Beam, whoever's in there is going to have to be on point. With Missouri's pitching, I, I don't know that it's bad, but I don't know that it's good either. Spencer Miles, their ace, he's a righty, a junior. He'll pitch on Friday night. Uh, he, he is a pro prospect, uh, somebody who has garnered uh, draft consideration. Uh, he has a, a low 90s breaking ball and useful secondary stuff. Uh, and his last time out, which – South or uh, Missouri's starting rotation last week was the best weekend that they've had on the season uh, against South Carolina. By far, it's best series of of the season. Uh, all three Missouri starters uh, pitched a career high in in innings pitched. So uh, that that's something to keep an eye on. Maybe they found something last weekend uh, against South Carolina. But Spencer Miles, their ace, he pitched into the eighth inning. He did take the loss but only allowed four runs, two of which came in the eighth, uh, and he only had one run of support. So the, the, the bats for Missouri did Spencer Miles no favors. He'll go on Friday. Uh, Tony Newbeck uh, is a freshman lefty who will pitch on Saturday. So for the second week in a row, Tennessee will face a freshman lefty on Saturday. Uh, he started the season as a go-to reliever and then moved into the rotation uh, against Arkansas. Uh, he had burst onto the scene over the fall, and then, as I mentioned, established himself a, as a go-to reliever uh, before making his way into the rotation. In, in the non-conference, he had a 2.79 ERA through five appearances, uh, and then in his start last weekend against South Carolina, career-best five innings. Missouri wins eight to seven on a walk-off. Uh, he did have some early. Command struggles, but did go on to allow just two runs on two hits, so he was able to bounce back. And then the Sunday starter, Austin Marozas, a a transfer from Charlotte. uh, His last time out against Carolina last Sunday, pitched into the seventh inning, was pretty dominant, allowed runs in the first and second inning before retiring 17 straight. Uh, to produce Missouri's first quality start of the season struck at a career high 10. So good for Austin there, but I I think it says a lot Kane, about Missouri's pitching staff that their first quality start of the season was just this past Sunday.
1: Yeah. And you're hoping those good times don't necessarily roll. And I don't believe it will at least like it did last weekend, because again, Tennessee's lineup is just so good, but I mean, it, it, you know, on paper, and again, baseball and nothing, nothing, no sport, no no sports played on paper. You're just sitting here looking at saying, okay, it's it's almost time to eat. Those ERA are are high, and it's not from a short sample size either. I think the bullpen's a little bit better. There's been some inconsistencies there for sure, but we were talking about your ace, your your Friday night guy with a with an over five ERA. Uh, you know, the Tennessee team could certainly tee off on that, so I, I think Tennessee's going to take advantage of the pitching that they're going to see this weekend. But uh, Tennessee's striking out a little bit more at the plate here lately. Um, you know, and, and that, that you know that's baseball kind of comes with it. Um, I, I expect Tennessee to bounce back in terms of maybe getting back to scoring more of the runs that we're used to. The at least before we at least the way it was prior to the Vanderbilt series. But at the end of the day, as long as you score more runs than they do, it doesn't really matter. And the way
0: Tennessee's pitching, it's almost a guarantee right now, right? Absolutely. Are, are you going to go out on a limb and, and say that Missouri steals a game this weekend? Or is Tennessee going to break out the brooms for a fourth straight time to start SEC play? I feel like my
1: role in sports radio and podcasting, everything is to be the, well, let's come back that down to earth guy, right? I mean, I, I I am so for Tiger Woods. I'm so rooting for him. But I mean, I was the one that was kind of the Debbie Downer. I'm like, well, of course you were. It's, incre- it's incredible what he's doing, but like, let's let's be let's be real here. What he's trying to do is incredible, and we just don't know if he's going to be able to sustain it. I'm not going to. I mean, I'm, Tennessee should sweep. I mean, point blank, Tennessee is the much better baseball team, and I know again, baseball is baseball. But in the college game, typically, you know, the the better team you know, has a better chance of winning each and every game. It's not like major league baseball where you can go out and pitch a gym and still lose, right? Those are all professionals. That's what I'm trying to say here. So Tennessee should sweep. I'm going to say Tennessee sweeping best start in SEC history. Uh, so sorry about it because I guess Missouri now is going to grab a game somewhere in this weekend, but no, I'll, I'll say Missouri. I'll say Tennessee sweeps Missouri.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I, I would be very surprised if if Tennessee loses a game. And I, honestly, Kane, I think the bigger question or, or bigger thing to keep an eye on this weekend is the sec east standings and the players Tony Vitello Tennessee's coaching staff is not going to do that they should not do that but last I checked Kane you and I are not on the team so we can talk big picture Mm -hmm. and the big picture is that when you're trying to win the sec east even if you are nine and oh and second place Georgia is six and three and then third place, Vanderbilt, is four and five. You have a three-game lead on first place. You have a five-game lead on second place. And then you have four teams tied for last at three and six. And as we we are recording this, it's the top of the eighth inning in Arkansas, Florida, and Arkansas – who I think is without a doubt the second-best team in the SEC at the moment, is about to hand Florida a a loss to open up the weekend. Arkansas beating Florida 3 to nothing in the top of the eighth, and they still have a runner on third and two outs. So uh, as comfortable as Tennessee's lead in the division is right now, there's still a lot of baseball left to be played. And if you are going to win the SEC East, in in this division in the SEC, with as, as much great baseball as there is, you have to win these series. You have to sweep. I mean, it's it's as simple as that. So that's kind of the the biggest yep. thing that I, I'm looking out for this weekend. Kane is will Tennessee continue to 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 add ground in its SEC East lead?
1: No lead in the SEC is safe. And pick your poison, right? Pick your sport: football, men's basketball, women's basketball, baseball, hell, softball. I mean, no lead is safe, right? So. I'm with you there. Just like we talk about Tennessee football, it's like, okay, you got to take care of the, the teams you're supposed to beat every single year. And you know, Tennessee's been doing that for the most part uh, this past season. So, um, But, again, this Tennessee baseball team is different because it is so freaking good. So, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, get you three more games via sweep here. Continue to pad that lead. Vanderbilt will not be under 500 in conference play for much longer. Um, just, just fact of the matter is, and, and Arkansas on the other side is, is coming as well. So, I'm with you. That's what I'm looking for. Also, you know, how, you know, things I'm looking for Jared Dickey, what's his role going to be this weekend? He got a pinch hit opportunity. Um, He was, he walked, he was told literally to walk to first base. He trotted immediately taken out for a pinch runner. Um, uh, You know, he could run in a straight line pretty well right now. Um, That, that was, that was said earlier today, but you know, what's his role going to be as as he continues to try to nurse himself back to health and um, what's that lineup going to look like still there's, there's so many different options for Tony Botello and, They've all been clicking, you know, so far as, as well. So that's what I'm kind of looking forward to.
0: For sure. You hit the nail on the head. You kind of have five left field options, according to Tony V Thursday morning. Uh, Seth Stevenson is probably the leader in the clubhouse without Jared Dickey. Uh, Kyle Booker coming back from injury. Uh, he just needs some reps, which I, I just hate that for him. Uh, I, I think it's just hard to, to get reps this time of year. So it, oh, yeah. you, you may just have to, to flush this season if you're Kyle Booker. If you're not, not if you're him, but for us looking at Kyle Booker and what he could provide to the team, uh, just really unfortunate for him. But he he is a dynamic baseball player. Hopefully, he can get on track. I just worry that he won't be able to find the reps to do so at this point in the year. Christian Scott, Steady Eddie. Uh, And and then how about Tony mentioning the last couple of weeks a couple of times that you can throw Christian Moore out there and and he could play left, which I, I certainly like that possibility. So I believe that's four that I mentioned. And then Jared Dickey would be the fifth. So certainly something to keep an eye out there for sure.
1: Yeah, Jared Dickey actually got a hit the other night. It was a single. Uh, it wasn't a walk. But nonetheless, it was it was Booker that came in to run for him, and he came around and scored. And that's still a nice option to have. as at least some type of little role for him. But I'm with you. Um, because of the setback, because of the options that you have right now, because of the way Tennessee's rolling, it's kind of like, well, it's it's unfortunate, but you're, you're kind of the odd man out right now. So interested to see how the left field position looks like. And I'm with you, man. I'd like to see more out there, spe- specifically if we can get more and Ortega in the lineup at the same time. And maybe it's sooner, probably not this weekend, but sooner or later, you know, maybe uh, you know, sliding a Dickey or a a DH role. You know, there's there's just tons of options. Again, this is this is the luxury of a good program. That's right. Number one in the country. You're, you're there for a reason. So um, whoever they throw out there you know, this weekend, it should be enough to uh, take advantage of those high ERAs for, for Missouri, take advantage of those weekend starters and uh, certainly pick up three more wins.
0: Last thing before we get out of here, it's going to be a pretty unique weekend at Tennessee. Uh, They're they're calling it all-vol weekend. Uh, There's going to be fireworks after Saturday night's game. Uh, Each game this weekend is sold out. You've got the Tennessee scrimmage on Saturday at 1 p.m., that's being broadcasted there in the middle of campus on the big flat screen. It's going to be a cold one this weekend. going to feel more like early March baseball than early April baseball, but uh, will still be a fun weekend on campus. Again, sold out. Uh, Friday and Sunday's games will be streamed live digitally on SEC Network Plus and the ESPN app. Saturday's broadcast will be on the SEC Network with Mike Morgan and Todd Walker on the call Friday is at 6.30 p.m. Eastern, Chase Burns on the mound. Saturday, 7 p.m. Eastern, Chase Dolander on the mound. And then Sunday at 12.30, right before the final day of the Masters tees off, Drew Beam will be on the mound. So should be a pretty fun weekend on campus, Eric, and especially for for those locked into VaultQuest because we'll have plenty of baseball coverage. We'll have plenty of spring practice coverage. Before I head over to baseball, I'll join you, Eric, and Brent uh, inside of Anderson Training Facility Center, whatever they're calling it these days, the, the Anderson Training Center uh, to watch Tennessee scrimmage. So, spring practice, baseball, but also a big weekend of recruiting.
1: I was going to say, man, don't bury the lead, Rod. I mean, sure, <laughs> sure. we're going to get to see a ball switch. switch prospects that are going to be on campus this weekend might even overshadow the open scrimmage, which we never get to see for the media. For the media, So uh, really looking forward to that. Uh, tons and tons of coverage of the scrimmage. Well, you know, I, I don't want to speak for you, but we'll probably have a lot. Li- we'll, we'll have a live thread going during the scrimmage, likely just throwing notes in there that we see and uh, tons of uh, prospects from Carnell Tate to Kyler Casper to Nico Iamaliava. Uh, to tons and tons of prospects far in between as well, and to go along with baseball and to go along with uh, a lot of other things happening on the Hill. Should be a fun one. I just wish the weather was a little bit better, but again, like, like the Neyland Stadium construction, it's like out of your hands, right? The weather's out of your hands. Trying to make the, ba- uh, the best of a bad situation, but as long as Tennessee baseball is playing, I think Lindsey Nelson is going to be packed because this team is in demand right now, and deservedly so. They deserve a crowd uh, that's awesome and on its feet all
0: weekend long. It'll be a fun weekend. Be sure to stay locked in to VolQuest.com for plenty of coverage. Follow Eric Kane on Twitter at underscore kaner. If you're listening to this, you you probably know where to follow me, or you you already are following me. Uh, I'm Ben McKee. I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> no, I, I'm not as big of a deal as Eric Kane, but I am at Ben McKee14 on Twitter. So that'll do it for another edition of the Diamond Vols podcast. We'll be back with you probably Monday morning. So until then, we hope you all have a great weekend.